0: Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast presented as always by Esports Network in partnership with Reuters. I'm your host Mitch Reams and today I'm talking to Robert Matthews. He's a collaboration strategist at AVI System. Robert,
1: how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Mitch. Thank you for having me on the show today.
0: Thank you for joining me. I got to say your accent is just so smooth. I'm a little bit jealous.
1: Oh, thank you. I'll try to uh, I'll try to ham it up a little bit extra for you.
0: <laughs> no, I um, like it. I like it. It's got a, kind of an NPR vibe. <laughs> uh, so I'm uh, talking to Robert today because he's doing a lot of work at AVI Systems, which is a pretty massive tech company, uh, especially in the world of education for eSports. So building out uh, a sophisticated learning structure at the Stewart Hall School in Virginia. We're going to be talking about... Uh, the tech opportunities in eSports, education and STEM education, especially in eSports colleges and high schools, and then bringing eSports to larger companies like AVI Systems. So first, what's that work you're doing at Stuart Hall School and what makes it unique among some of the other eSports programs around the country?
1: Well, it's a pretty unique environment. It's a fantastic education facility steeped in history. And part of their forward-looking vision is to embrace technology and to bring that into the learning environment, incorporating STEM learning processes, and to give opportunities for the students to learn more about using technology in ways that might help encourage them through their path to university and into their working force.
0: Definitely, there's so, so much interesting stuff that goes into that, especially as you have to have a very unique approach in colleges because it doesn't operate in the same way that traditional American athletic programs have operated, where kids come out and then they enter uh, usually playing careers or some aspect of of that. And in esports, you know, by the time a player's playing game, they're already of college age. So, what a collegiate esports program needs to do is a little bit unique in preparing kids for a variety of careers all using esports as the lens
1: absolutely yeah good good point there's so many different factors to involve here technology encompasses many different factors esports is the most prevalent because the design and preparation for an esports environment is one of the more challenging because of the many different aspects that we can incorporate to Deliver a comprehensive esports experience. But the vision was already there in terms of all of the different components, all fit under the paradigm of esports. We look at competitive gaming and it facilitates so many different aspects. There's the gameplay itself, and then there's the tournament and competitive aspects, and we incorporate multiple other aspects support agents around that Uh, there's the shoutcaster for the tournament there's the operator the broadcaster and then we have streaming components either for the gameplay or during the event itself and all of these come together holistically as we look at a program altogether.
0: it's definitely unique in having all those different parts being able to have be a caster for it being able to bring in uh different sections of a university as well We've seen esports programs get born out of computer science. We've seen them get born out of athletic uh, departments. We've seen them get born out of completely random student clubs. So it's really awesome to see all the different ways that esports can impact different parts of university and then how it Changes what the esports program looks like at that individual university. So, to give an example, the University of Oregon it came out of the athletic department and it's very focused on, you know, competitive gameplay and that's their key goal. At the University of Utah, their varsity program came out of game design and so they're focused on optimizing games and figuring out the best ways to improve different esports. And so it, it's cool to see the different approaches different schools are taking.
1: And. Different schools, you know, maybe it works for the University of Oregon because that's how their structure is developed. But different schools have many different faculties with an interest in eSports because of the many academic benefits that come along with it. It's more than just the excitement revolving around the event and the game itself. The nature of gaming allows access to so many different elements of academic benefit. You mentioned game design, for example. I mean, that's a really important part for obvious reasons, but there are more, perhaps less obvious reasons that benefit from it as well, such as uh, journalism courses, podcasting, streaming, and and video design, uh, 3D Studio Max, and AutoCAD now becomes available through use of these machines. We've developed the program for this institution, and, and we're proud to consider it, the most sophisticated eSports learning environment in the country because of the way that it embraces so many different elements of technology as it relates to eSports and STEM learning as well.
0: I'm glad you brought up STEM because that was what I was about to ask you about. The technology aspect of eSports is such a unique breeding ground for innovation. We saw stuff like the... Riot Games using the Augmented Reality Dragon in 2018. And then in this last NFL season, the Baltimore Ravens did something uh, very similar with an Augmented Reality Raven in the NFL. So you can see how esports is sort of introducing these new advances in technology before the the sporting world get to it. And it's the perfect place for students to be because you can learn about all this different tech and you can get some practical experience with it. So how are you making sure to incorporate these different STEM lessons into the wider eSports framework?
1: Yeah, great question. And it's evolved around the project venue itself. Uh, We've got access to a center that's being built specifically for this purpose. And the center has a lot of space to be able to develop environments around technology and STEM learning. You mentioned augmented reality, for example, and the Stuart Hall School embraces virtual reality and augmented reality as part of their learning environment. And we have right next to the eSports classroom, we have an augmented reality and virtual reality classroom to help develop those concepts and explore that technology. As you mentioned, it's incorporated into tournaments and stadiums as part of the audience experience. But it's very limited in adoption on how you can experience that because is it going to be a surprise that you show on the Jumbotron or the people at home would experience? In which case, you're missing out on the audience experience because they're going to be, like, oh, what, what's happening? I don't really understand. Or do you warn them? Okay, everybody download this app, lift up your phone, point it at the stage, and then it takes away some of the, the visceral environment until we're all wearing glasses that have it built in in a few years as predicted but going back to the education environment that is giving you access to that type of technology and and explore ways and have that conversation of how is it used today how can it be used better what is the future going to be and these students having access to that is going to be a really productive valuable environment
0: I would absolutely agree with that. And it's the most important function of universities is giving people. I mean, if you came out of school, there's no way you can practice with VR and AR technology until you were to get a job. So a university providing that technology and providing the place to you know, make mistakes and be a student and play around with it is crucial first steps in pushing somebody onto that career, because I don't know how else you'd be able to take those first steps uh, without you know, having access to the equipment in some function uh, at university.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and this educational institute is, is a private high school. So for at that level to have access to these tools is, uh, is, is second to none. So it's a fantastic environment. I wish I was able to enroll there and be able to go to school there and have access to the great technology we've been able to implement.
0: Well, I just assumed it was a university based on all the cool stuff they had, but that's even more remarkable to be a private high school, 14, 15 years old, and being able to play with technology like this. I'm surprised they trust those kids with a uh, with that type of technology. I know I'd be a little bit wary of it.
1: Well, it's part of part of the learning program. Of course, it's supervised and under the right tuition model from the school, and, uh, and it's going to be uh, a great... Environment to incorporate access to that technology as a supervised learning experience. You know there is the the, the, the audio and visual studio technology that is developed for production of um, of set pieces and audio uh, audio voiceovers or music production. So there's a whole level. Of learning in many areas that, of course, would be part of curriculum and managed that way.
0: It's incredibly interesting. That's the generation, the 14, 15, 16 year olds that I consider the esports generation, because when I think they hit the post college grad, it's going to be like a tidal wave of viewership and revenue pouring into esports. When you talk to kids of that age, they've been playing video games since they were five years old, competitive video games usually. And, I think there's a, even I'm at 24, There I'm at the very front end of a huge wave of gamers and competitive gamers. So how important is it to bring in eSports offerings to connect with kids of that generation who are of who are that age uh, and to bring them into educational lessons by showing, hey, we understand what you're interested in, where you're spending your time and now you can learn things using esports as a lens, something you're already doing in your free time, how important is it to provide that uh, aspect of it for these kids to make sure they stay engaged in STEM
1: education? To understand the importance of access to esports as a team sport or a club for these students, it's important to consider that esports is a paradigm that we're witnessing unfold in front of us. Yes, it's been a thing for a long time, and tournaments have been uh, have been ongoing for many years. Not to date myself too much, mate, but back in the nineties, I would put my pound coin on the Street Fighter II arcades and go around the country for different tournaments there. And that was that was a really great environment and a lot of fun and a lot of social aspects revolving around the the classic arcade games. Um, a lot, far cry from the majors we see today in esports pulling in tens of thousands—it's it's a completely different world. But that passion I had uh, in my youth, enjoying those games, really helped motivate me and and invigorate me as I connected with my peers and colleagues within the esports industry as we watch it unfold. So putting it into that context, now we see the environment such a rich environment for these students to be involved in a team environment and um, and being not being limited to a home environment or or a handheld console or limited access there's so much access available now to this technology and bringing them into a team environment has incredibly valuable social skills as well as the ability to operate within a team environment to improve their playing skills. Now there are many positive values that we can consider for training them and educating them on the standards of behavior and now they can learn more about respect and good sportsmanship and bring them into that that team environment. And if there is an occasion where uh, you get defeated in a League of Legends match and it's an emotional experience then you can recognize that and cater that and acknowledge it rather than it just being in an isolated environment. And maybe that environment is at home and maybe the parents aren't as aware of the experience that that kind of, uh, that kind of gaming, that gaming sensation would have, Uh, especially if it's a group game and it's uh, an online tournament and there's an interruption as is going to happen in home life that can generate some friction or some some aggravation so having this type of program can be very productive to help alleviate those issues or challenges as well because it gives us a, a pathway to communicate with the parents and the coach and the school can have that conversation and be able to manage those expectations and and and, and help the student to be more successful in their in their gaming career whilst not letting it take over, you know.
0: It's a completely opposite gaming experience when you're playing with a team and you're in person with them to your point on leadership, sportsmanship. Those types of things are not usually well apparent when you're solo queuing. Hopefully, if you have a group of people you can play online with, you could all voice up, then you'll get an aspect of that. But when you're in person with people, the entire gaming experience changes so much more. It's way more collaborative. Uh, You're way more understanding of teammates mistakes and they're more understanding of yours, meaning that you band together and you play, I think, exponentially better when you can all play together. So providing these structures and not just having people go home and solo queue and then get mad at their teammates and get tilted. It's really important to help build those values that we used to rely on. For traditional sports, because I don't think playing by uh, by yourself at your home really builds those like teamwork values, unless you're really just practicing a lot of patience uh, with your with the comms or with other people or the voice chat or the text chat, uh, whatever it may be. So, being there, being in person with people, really is the only way to get a good set of those teamwork values that it's just not possible when you're playing by yourself, at least in my experience.
1: You're absolutely correct. Having an isolated experience isn't going to be as engaging. Uh, a lot of what we do at AVI Systems is also in the realm of corporate work, you know, government, enterprise, judicial, uh, media and entertainment, education, all kinds of different verticals. And we provide unified communications technology to help enable that. So that not just having a phone call, you get a visual experience and all those nonverbal communication cues through the video conferencing type of communication. And that is an element that comes to play when you're engaged in in a group team, being able to have that nonverbal communication, even if it's something as simple as being around in a, in a round table and being able to see the kind of energy that's coming off your teammates um, as opposed to in a row table you know part of that furniture design and configuration and layout is an important factor to consider when we look at either practice play or whether this space is is not being engaged for a classroom activity and it's actually being used for a classroom environment to teach them to use audio tools and as part of a music program then you're going to have a different configuration and we'll be involved in that space planning process to help prepare for that
0: it's incredibly interesting i hadn't really thought about how that different uh aspect of of just a layout changes things but it makes a lot of sense given that it's hard to see your teammates when you're looking down the line like that and if you're all looking you can all see each other uh, around the monitor, it allows for better communication, better teamwork, uh, better collaboration. So that's, that's really interesting. I had not thought about that. I want to ask you a little bit about AVI Systems. And it's a pretty massive company. And I, I appreciate you uh, providing a brief primer on what the company does right there. But what is what role is esports playing in this large company that's touching all these different aspects? And what advice do you give to other companies? Right now, we're seeing so many companies be like... What is esports and what can we do in it? So what advice would you give to other companies who want to be part of the esports vertical, but maybe aren't quite sure how their company fits into the space right now?
1: In terms of, of our engagement with esports as an emerging vertical within media and entertainment, a lot of the times we are able to support different companies or or industry experts when they look at exceeding what their what their baseline has been the baseline being okay let's start a tournament let's get some game stations in get some kids in and a lot of that's driven from passion but as it evolves out of that realm as popularity increases and the audience size increases the technological requirements increase as well and one of the pitfalls we see is too many folks trying to take on too much on themselves and it's always a challenge when one goes to an event, and sees that that challenge is, is being more evident because they're trying to get technology that isn't available to end users, but the reason that we have professional channels of access to specific equipment is because we're certified to design and integrate and program them so that we don't have any those kinds of issues within an environment or within a deployment of that type of technology. Now, a lot of this technology is very sophisticated. Of course, there are varying degrees and we have a a program called pro development that gives us the opportunity to focus on the human impact. And that is really critical when it comes to considering esports. because, and it's unusual for a technologist like myself to say that because One would think that technology is what my focus is, is, but no, it's the human impact that really drives my passion for systems like esports, because here, especially with esports and especially for education, because now we can talk to the teachers and the students and the parents and have that understanding of A, what their requirements are, and B, how technology can help them. And that process results in developing budgets and timelines and a real concept of what that solution would look like what the measured outcome could be so that it is a known outcome and maybe we use a 3d model or maybe we use photoshop or maybe it's a napkin sketch whatever they need whatever gets the message across to understand it because the challenge with technology deployment can also be that the extent or the full understanding of the sensory experience of that technology. Isn't completely realized it's not even going to be realized by a written scope of work and a bill of materials of what will make that happen so we focus on that human impact to be able to embrace that more holistically
0: i think that's something that a lot of tech companies could definitely be focused more on is how does this impact humans and how are we making sure this impacts you know humanity in the right way we're not just pushing tech forward pushing tech forward but also you know, what are the correct applications of this technology and making sure it always comes back to, you know, having a good human impact. Because I think we've seen some tech, I think it's a little beyond the pale. People just keep focusing on tech and tech and tech and then uh, the human impact gets lost. So I think that's a good rooted mindset for anybody who's working in these uh, technology innovation companies.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been very effective because having that, clear understanding, then results in, the course, delivery of this environment. And if we've done the work up front to communicate that and to listen and to understand what those requirements are around technology and help give them insight onto how technology would help realize what that vision really is, then when it comes to delivery of that solution, then they can be, great, this is what we talked about. It is what we... What we expected. I tell you where a lot of the, the real, um, the really great experiences come from me professionally is when I revisit these facilities and these individuals that uh, we've become friends with through this process. And I reconnect with them and say, How is this technology working? Is it still everything you wanted it to be? And they say, Yes, come and see what we're doing with these students today. And um, we'll be able to see so much more use cases than we even understood when it actually gets executed. That is when some of the reward comes because you see ideas as these students get into the technology and use it in ways that we hadn't even forecast.
0: That's incredibly interesting. So I want to wrap up here with you soon, but I want to ask you from somebody who's been in eSports since the Street Fighter days in the 90s and even before that, the arcade days, What are some of the key areas where you think esports could be improved from a tech perspective? Where is it not optimal right now in either uh, competitive esports or in the gaming world as large? And what steps can be made to optimize uh, the technology in those spaces?
1: Wow, that's a big question. Okay, there's so much that can be done. I think there's going to be more than we can cover in the time we have available. But I'll try and bullet point it down for you, um, there's so many different areas. For example, looking at professional tournament events, often going to, as a technical spectator, some of the metrics and data that's available on some of the auxiliary machines uh, and displays can be difficult to read. Some of the text can be quite small and often it's embedded into the primary stream that's in- included in, as part of the broadcast. Um, and there are ways that we can we can enhance that experience. Obviously, it depends on an extent to the title and the environment, uh, as you know, as opposed to you know a, a a CS:GO tournament as opposed to a League of Legends tournament. There's there's a variety of different aspects to consider technically, but there are ways that we can pull some of that game data out and be able to enhance that experience. Um, and a lot of it is augmented by technology, but also around the, the experience itself. So sure, we can use lights and pyro effects to, to augment the experience, but tying it into the right way to the game is important too. Um, another aspect is ensuring that the players are at their best, exp- their best capabilities to perform to the maximum of their potential. And when we look at a at a, a stage environment it can be quite challenging because there's noise from the crowd and some and some tournaments are even saying okay can the crowd turn it down or have less engagement or potential interference with the players as they're engaging in that in that environment and then another important aspect is is how those teams practice and how they can be in a facility that gives them and experience. We can mimic a live experience for the pro, the professional gamers as they practice to try and simulate some of the pressures that they feel within the lighting and the stage environment that they experience. And then another aspect is comfort. We have the traditional bucket seat racing chair um, seats that we, we sit in as we play games at a keyboard and mouse. And it'll be interesting to see ways that we can enhance that experience to be ergonomically engaging to allow these players to sit at their stations for long periods of time and still be comfortable and able to do that, but also be mindful enough to be able to take breaks and uh, and, and focus on the wellness that's going to be required for competitive play.
0: Those are all really great points. And I think they get back to that human element as well, where it's, uh, here's where we can improve tech. But what can we do to uh, make gamers' experiences better, make esports competitors' experiences better? That's one piece of tech you mentioned there at the end is the uh, the tilt monitor. When somebody is, you know, their heart rate's increasing too much, their actions are bad. Having a piece of technology that indicates when somebody has gone, uh, has probably been playing too long and needs to take a break because it's really hard to identify that point when you're playing games you have to have a lot of discipline there's no uh physical cue like there is in sports where your body's exhausted and can't go any further in esports you have to be very cognizant of okay i'm 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 mad i'm not playing well i've been playing for 3 4 hours straight i need to take a break and i think some sort of technology that you know monitors uh either a player's actions or uh, heart rate or something in that in that sense would be a really interesting product and something that uh, could be really great for esports players in general and help honestly prolong careers as people get burnt out at the ages of 24 or 25. And that's one of the key issues we need to deal with that esports as a whole needs to deal with. So I, I think that could be a really interesting uh, tech product, hopefully coming out of Stuart Hall School. Maybe somebody there can can work on that.
1: I think that I I agree as well. Um, and, And I believe that we are looking into that and that that is something that may have... I'm not familiar with how many ways that's been deployed already, but I'm familiar with several technologies built into wearable sensors, wearable technology to help augment athletic performance. And talking about athletic performance, it's easy... I don't know if you saw the SNL sketch around... Esports, uh, but it is hilarious, although it is reinforcing of some stereotypes around the sport. Uh, it's interesting because it really is an athletic element to consider because in order to be the best, the best gamer, you need to be at your best peak health. And that is being in, encouraged in camps and programs to encourage physical health, mental health, and wellness as, as a whole. And part of that ties in to the amount of game play that you're engaged in. So here's another aspect that is sometimes overlooked when we look at, for example, varsity sports at a university. In some of my conversations with coaches in these environments, this is this is a varsity sport. So there's a scholarship associated to it, and there's a performance expectation. And not only do they have to meet the grades and, and attend, which is, At the high school level is an encouraging factor because within these teams now there's motivation. There have been studies that have demonstrated GPA increases and attendance increases in order to engage in the club and the team. But at the university level, there's a little more pressure because of the varsity element. So now we have to balance that with their studies, of course, which are are crucially important, and being able to perform as part of the esports team. And that means you have to play the game even if you don't feel like it. Sure, a lot of them are passionate about it, but they need to practice and improve and there's a commitment to that. And understanding that is part of the responsibility of the coaching environment to to build that as a team and to have them motivated towards it. And then you incorporate the health elements and the wealthiness and the fitness and building the team environment. And all of this, I feel, comes together and helps motivate each other and, and and all participants come out benefiting it from, from it in the long run.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think training, and as you mentioned, the varsity program, when to play a game, when not to play a game, uh, to make sure you're maximizing, is one of the biggest growth opportunities. And esports is something that know it's going to take a lot of trial and error to figure out but uh yeah definitely the focus on health and wellness outside of just the game and uh adding these gyms to these training facilities and pushing players uh nike gets involved and brings faker out to the the beaverton headquarters and runs him through a bunch of physical tests and sees how many push-ups he can do and you know it's not a very high number given the what he does and so it's it's all about being like okay how can we maximize performance both mentally and physically uh help prolong esports players careers and make sure they're you know it's more healthy in general and that's i think all really important for the growth of the space
1: and the social aspects so the team is is at a pinnacle i tell you that was a great story about how the esports team was brought out at a pep rally for the football team and they had their, their team shirts on and everything, and all the students were cheering them on. And well, what a great environment to be in. That an esports team can come out at a pep rally with the football team and be supported in, in the same way. It was it was just a really rewarding environment. And it goes on to look at the acceptance and and how the impact is on the student body because casual gaming can be accommodated and encouraged and be part of that social environment at a student center. And intramural competition can take place and and, um, can maybe even interface to the amateur leagues. And all different aspects can help bring in that inclusion. And inclusion is a really important factor because Anyone can play video games. No one cares who you are playing video games because you're assuming a character and you're enjoying this experience through a virtual environment. And when we look at the different studies of gamers, in 2008, the Pew Research Center reported that 97% of teen boys and 83% of teen girls played video games, which is a great statistic. That's extremely high. So clearly, there is this basis this interest of gaming that can be encouraged in, in an inclusive way, and and ways that we can do that to reduce the, the gender gap that we see in esports and encourage more participants to have a positive environment socially is is an ongoing effort that that. Uh, my peers and I are often talking about and finding ways to encourage.
0: Uh, it, it's incredibly important to help reduce that gap. And I really think uh, it starts with universities and with high schools. These programs, uh, it's a lot, as we talked about earlier, it's a lot easier to be toxic when you're hiding behind a username online. It's just a girl's voice when it's actually your teammate right there next to you. You're going to see people be a lot less uh, toxic. In fact, they're they are not going to be at all because they wouldn't say anything like that, it, not under the condition of anonymity. So it's uh, I think incredibly important to bring in these different programs at a local level, bring people in, bring them together, and I think that will really help reduce that the gender gap we see. Because yeah, it's awesome that it's the, one of the coolest things about esports is that men and women can compete together on the same playing field, and we've seen it happen on a couple cases. Current. Uh, Hearthstone champion is is a woman. The Fortnite uh, T- Tina Rays from Gen G won a big Fortnite competition back at TwitchCon. So we've seen it happen a couple times, and it's awesome to see. But I really want to see more and more of it. And I think uh, school programs are one of the huge ways that we get more women involved in esports at a professional level, uh, engaging them early and giving them an environment that is as as toxicity free as possible, uh, which is never going to be completely possible, but at least we can take away some of the issues they face there. So diversity and inclusion, one of the huge important issues in esports and hopefully something that we see improve readily in the next generation.
1: Absolutely, absolutely agree with that. And and just to touch on on a bit of a segue to some of the titles themselves. Uh, just seeing some of the games like League of Legends and, and Rocket League being deployed. Rocket League is such an original and organic game. The way it's grown in popularity, it's uh, it's been fantastic to see the team evolve as they as they play these titles and engage with the community, both in the education environment. But then there's there's overlap as it can as it can interface to the community as well and, and different gaming communities around that. So, there's more outreach that can be cultivated there, also.
0: Definitely. And before we get started on Rocket League, everybody on this podcast who listens to this podcast knows what happens when I start talking about Rocket League. It's (laughs) my favorite esports. So, I'll spare you from another rant about how great Rocket League is. And we'll end the podcast here. (laughs) Thank you all for listening to this Esports Network podcast. I'm Matrines talking to Robert Matthews, collaboration strategist at AVI System. Robert, where can they find your work? What are you doing uh, coming up now?
1: Thanks a lot, Mitch. I really appreciate you inviting me on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and sharing some of the insight of this project. Uh, If you want to learn more about AVI Systems, you can reach us on our website at avisystems.com. And I'm Robert Matthews, Matthews with one T, and you can find me on LinkedIn too. But thanks again, Mitch. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for coming on. I enjoyed the show. And for everybody who's in college or high school, see what your school is talking about eSports because it's likely that faculty is already discussing it if there aren't programs in place already. So be on the lookout for that. It's the best way of experiencing eSports doing it in a collaborative environment. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. We'll be back later this week uh, with another fantastic episode, I'm sure. I'm not sure what we'll be talking about, but There will be more Esports Network content coming for you soon.